0: Here's your host, Dane Carlson.
1: Welcome back to the Econ Dev Show. Today, we're here with Andy Portera. He is a partner with Portera and Associates. They're an economic development and workforce consulting firm. Andy, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dane. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I'm glad that you and I are finally able to connect. I know we've been bumping into each other on uh, Twitter, I think, and maybe even on LinkedIn. And Yeah, I've enjoyed connecting with you on Twitter and uh, listening to some of your podcasts and newsletter. Thanks. So I guess before we dive in, tell us a little bit about yourself and Portera Associates and Associates. Yeah, sure.
2: I'm originally from a small town in Mississippi, West Point, Mississippi, about 15,000 people. Grew up in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, which is where the University of Alabama is located. Went to undergrad there, got a business degree, got a law degree, practiced law for a while, worked in a family business, and then was... Kind of called back into economic development. I'd say it's a family business, so to speak. My father's been involved in it for probably 40 plus years But had an opportunity to join him about, I'd say eight years ago. And so jumped back in with him and we've been doing economic development, consulting, workforce development, consulting, working with EDA cities and county, community colleges, four year universities. Mostly in the southeast, in mid to small market communities, probably fifty thousand, fifty thousand people and under. So I've been in Alabama, Mississippi, Tennessee, West Virginia, doing work in those communities, just trying to grow opportunities and make the quality of life in those places a little bit better.
1: Gotcha. So who is your father?
2: And my father's is a Dr. Malcolm Portera. Uh, he was. I'll give you a little bit of background if you want me to. He was in administration at the University of Alabama, late 70s, early 80s. Around that time, Tuscaloosa had lost about 7,500 jobs over the course of about two years. Some steel and some textiles were going overseas. They were at a breaking point, I and mean, they got word that the, there was a Rochester Products, it was a GM. I think they were carburetors, maybe were catalytic converters. I can't remember, but they were going to close their doors. They announced that they were going to shut down them by the end of the year. The, economic development agent representative at Tuscaloosa came to the university. Just happened to come to my dad's, Hey, can y'all help us? Is there anything y'all can do? We do not need to lose another 250 jobs. So he got to work, and went straight over to the business school. They put together a plan to try to make the process, the plant floor more efficient. They promised Rochester Products, GM company, that they would save them a million and a half dollars over the course of a year. If they would keep their doors open, if they didn't save them that money, they would make up, the university would make up whatever difference that they needed to make up if they didn't deliver on their promise. So long story short, they put a couple of professors, their kind of production line folks in the plant with some students. They ended up saving them that million and a half dollars. So they kept the plant. The 250 jobs stayed. That relationship with GM led to the Alabama folks being invited to recruit the Saturn car project back in the, I'd say, mid-80s. They failed on that. They went to Signal Hill, Tennessee, but they used that platform that they uh, put together for Saturn, including the property and everything for the Mercedes project, which they landed in. I think about 93 or 94, I started building cars in 97. I think I, you may have read one of my tweets. I think you put it in your newsletter, but my first real job in economic development, I didn't know it was an economic development job at the time, but my dad would get us up when the Mercedes executives were coming to town, my brother and I, and he'd take us out on the route from the airport to the industrial site. And we would actually pick up trash and uh, tires and mattresses and things just to try to net ride a little more, a little more beautiful, a little more picked up and kept so they, they would get the impression that we cared about our community and what we look like. And we'd take care of their investment if they decided to choose us.
1: It, uh, I I I guess that worked. I guess that had the impact. Yeah. Yeah. There was
2: a lot of folks involved in it. And like I said, I was just getting out of high school, probably college. He was definitely on the front lines and it was a complete state effort, but it was a '96 Alabama built. I think zero cars, and now they're close to building a million and a half once this Mazda
1: Toyota production line comes online. So that's a. It was a huge project. Obviously, that's phenomenal. So then you take this, you take these lessons that you've learned over your lifetime, and you go to communities and you help them. Is that yeah? Basically, yeah. what you that, do? That, yeah,
2: yeah. That's a focus. And every every community is a little bit different. We're working mostly distressed communities in the Southeast, communities that are are, kind of a little bit stagnant in terms of population growth and unemployment, opportunities, just somewhat limited resources can be limited. We take what has worked for us in communities and definitely not a cookie cutter thing because every community is different, has different strengths and weaknesses, but we take what's worked for us and, uh, you know, apply that to the situation and measure what kind of progress we're getting. And if we're not getting the kind of progress we want, we'll We remain, we stay flexible, change course and try something else. But we're all about kind of continuous action and measure what we're doing and seeing what
1: kind of results we're getting. I guess that brings up two questions. Let's say you were brought into a community. What would be the first thing that you would do when you came into a community that was struggling that, and we have a lot of economic developers that listen, that are in small communities and they're banging, feel like they're banging their head against the wall and they don't know what to do next or what to do first. What should they do? Yeah, I I totally
2: get it. It is a tough economic development. It's a tough, it is a very competitive endeavor. First I would do would see what, uh, see if we've got a a vision for what we want our community to be. I work in some communities that have full-time economic developers and I work in some communities that kind of have part-time economic developers. So I would start with where we are as a community and where we want to, where we want to be as a community. It, It may involve uh if they don't have an economic development board, maybe getting some business leaders together to help us craft what we want our community to look like in 5, 10, 15 years. If we do have a vision, though, we can start maybe from a more of a planning perspective and put together, I say, a concise strategic plan. Planning is important. I think you need to have the vision of where we're trying to go, what we want to be. Then we need to put a plan together, which is, it's going to hit on a lot of things, but I don't like to get bogged down too much in the planning process. I think some communities take the planning process as, as, as beyond the action they're taking. I just see a lot of plans that have sat, been on shelves and not really been implemented, so... I'd get a vision, then I put a plan together, and then I would start start taking action. You don't have to put the whole plan in action at once. We can take it piece. That's probably the easiest way to do it, especially in a smaller community. It might hit on existing business and industry. How can we retain and grow those? May hit on workforce, working with community colleges and K through twelve and four year institutions if they're close by. Infrastructure is a big a big thing, and whether it be broadband or as simple as the roads or the railroads or whatnot, but Every community has got obviously a different mix, different strengths and different weaknesses, but we try to build on the strengths that you've got and make them investment magnets. And then also try to shore up any kind of critical weaknesses that you have. Don't like to, don't like to get bogged down in generic weaknesses. I think that's the one thing that's really challenging working in rural areas where resources are limited and it's gotten a little bit stagnant is it's just that mentality we are who we are and we're always going to be this and there's nothing we can do about it. So I, we recognize there's some challenges and obstacles, but don't put too much focus on it get bogged down in those. It's, it's, it's kind of the, sh- the short end of, of kind sure. of what we try to do when we go in places.
1: You made an excellent point early on there. You said that don't get bogged down in the plan. Find a way to do something. Find a way to get it. Your, get yourself an early win. Find a way to accomplish something because it does seem communities, when they develop economic development plans, there are want to be entrepreneurs, people who want to start a business, and they think that the process of planning to start the business and writing the business plan and developing the business cards and getting a lawyer and getting an accountant and doing all these things are, you know, starting the business as opposed to just going out there and trying to sell some. Of your product or service and getting getting someone other than your mother to buy it it's like that yeah. in communities when they develop plans and they spend all this time and all this money talking and writing and then they get this plan and they put it on the shelf and they think that they did some economic development yeah no,
2: i agree and i think the plan like you said sometimes they get so complex and voluminous. just the act of putting that together the energy that's gone into it the money that's gone into it at their little bit like Communities may be a little bit exhausted by the time they're done with that. And they don't know where to they don't know where to go. They feel like they've accomplished something as well as I do. You gotta have a plan. But if you don't do anything with it, nothing really
1: is gonna get accomplished. So at the end of the day, you haven't really done economic development in my eyes. Exactly. And so then the second point is you mentioned that you got to measure economic development is all about numbers it's we can quantify everything and so what are the things that a small community as they're starting up on their economic development journey what should they be measuring what should they be tracking it depends on what your goals are and what you're trying to
2: do but i mean i would say most places we go and most things we do are about increasing jobs it's usually going to come from growing from what you've got growing from existing business and industry whether it be adding 10 10 jobs at steel fabrication plant and whatnot. Everybody wants to pull in, lure in some foreign direct investment from Korea, Japan, Germany, or whatnot, but that's, that's really challenging. So I like to start with what we've got, try to make what we have better. So jobs is definitely one way to do it. We've gone in communities where we've had a strong focus on infrastructure, whether it not be broadband, getting broadband sufficiently out to some of the peripheral areas in the city or county. We've worked with getting gas lines, getting propane lines up to industrial parks. So it's really going to be community, be community by community. I think it's important to identify what your goals are and where your initial focus is going to be. And if it's jobs, then we're going to get to work trying to grow jobs from existing business and industry. We, that's pretty. That's it's somewhat easily measured and you can go in and see what you got when you started and see what you got a year or two three years down the line and hopefully there'll be an increase most communities we're working in there there is an increase
1: yeah that's good that's excellent um changing gears a little bit we talked a little bit about how we had interacted on twitter you yeah are doing a really great job on Twitter. You're posting some really great content on Twitter. How, oh, did, you. how did that come about? Why?
2: Yeah, so I've been doing, I've been in this economic development for the last almost decade, but was really focused on the day-to-day grind of traveling. Most of my, my I live in Birmingham in Alabama, but most of my work is in other states or areas in Alabama that are a little bit far, further away from where I am. So I spent a lot of days getting in far, going to meetings and things like that. Pre-COVID didn't really have a lot of time to spend on creating content for Twitter or LinkedIn and whatnot. But when COVID hit, it shut down, definitely shut down the international travel that we were doing. But it also really brought to a halt the day-to-day that we've been doing. So it gave me an opportunity to, to spend a little bit more time putting pen to paper on what we've done. Kind of the experiences we had, the lessons we've learned, the mistakes we've made. And I just started, started putting it out on Twitter just to see what, uh, what kind of responses I'd get to see if it was valuable to anybody or made an impact anywhere. And so slowly growing it little by little and trying to post as much as I can. And really just talk about what we try to do and maybe mention some successes we've had, maybe some failures and spots, but just trying to get people an opportunity to know us and know what we do. and My main goal is to help folks out there, whether it's an economic developer who doesn't have much experience, is in a a tough spot in a rural community with not a lot of resources. Maybe the lessons that, that we've learned will help them just a little step at a time have some success in their communities.
1: Yeah, it does seem for young economic developers who are just getting started in the industry, there is a big disconnect between the generation that's there now and the generation that's been there for a decade or two decades or more in that it seems like from 20 years ago everybody knows everybody and everybody knew everything and everybody had worked with everybody and now yeah. as more and more are coming in they're they don't know about everything that's happened in the past and they're they're not familiar with it they don't know people and it's really i you're doing a great job because you're sharing these stories and these tips and these insights and i think your experience is really valuable to the greater community. So I applaud you for that. Yeah, I appreciate it. That's
2: the goal. And if I can help Somebody somewhere that's trying to do something to workforce, or trying to do something in existing business, in industry, or whether foreign direct investment or what, whatever it may be. I know a lot of the stuff I post is probably common knowledge to folks that have been in the industry for a long time and fought the battles and had a lot of success. But I've realized just in my travels, there's folks with maybe not a ton of experience and background in this economic development that are in a position to try to bring their rural community along. And so, if I can give them a little nugget here or there. That's what we're, that's what I'm trying to do. So I appreciate you saying that. Absolutely. So does your firm, do you guys do sites? That's one thing we don't really specialize in. We know enough to be maybe dangerous in that area, but we've worked with some site selection experts in the past. We don't, I would say we're more maybe on the vision, planning, action. When it comes to site selection, we would defer to somebody that's got a lot of experience and expertise in that area. So that's
1: not one of the things we do. Okay. I think that's it's probably that's probably useful in that site selectors are looked at by economic developers on the ground as these demigods that you have yeah. to worship at the throne of so yeah. that you could get projects. And if and sometimes you feel like when they come into your community that you really need to hire them to do your consulting work because then they'll send you projects in the future. And so it's probably good that there's a little bit of a hands off there. Yeah. Yeah. We think so. And like I said, we work, we, we've worked with several in the past and, but we're, we're not coming with projects in hand necessarily sure, when sure. we come to your community. So you've worked all over the Southeast. How is the economic development environment different from state to state? Is there one that stands out as being a great state to work in and another state that's maybe has more challenges?
2: Yeah, there's definitely, and I mentioned the states we're in, Alabama, Tennessee, West Virginia, and Mississippi is where we've done most of our work to date, there's definitely some differences in those particular, those different states. You've got huge population differences between, let's say, Alabama and Tennessee and then Mississippi and West Virginia. West Virginia is a unique place. I don't know how many, if you've ever spent any time there, been up there, but no. it's it's obviously Appalachia. They've got a lot of challenges, like a lot of places, but there's a when it comes to workforce, it was interesting. We were on the ground meeting with some, a big OE, automotive OEM that's there and talking to them about their workforce. And we were used to the places we go. The workforce is, can be challenging and presents some obstacles and challenges for folks in the, in some of the other states. But up there, they really, they have the miners kind of mentality, the problem solving mentality of when they see something on the plant floor, they see something in a production system or whatnot, they are thinking ahead and trying to figure out how they're going to solve it. So that was very, very refreshing and good to hear that that's alive. And we, when we meet with existing business and industry, the couple of things we hear, one of them is I wish we had more folks that were, had that problem solving ability. We're on the lookout for whatever problems there may be in the production system and thinking about ways to fix it. I would say each state unique. I'm partial to Mississippi, and then that's my home state, but Alabama's where I've grown up and lived. Alabama, the story I told earlier, really went all in on the foreign direct investment back in the mid-80s. And the automotive was, they knew it'd bring a lot of jobs, and it also bring an opportunity for suppliers. So Alabama's done a fantastic job, along with the other states, bringing in foreign direct investment. My dad tells a story, he was in a meeting in Japan in the 80s, and he said one thing that We didn't have to worry about the international, going and recruiting international investment was maybe the stigma that Alabama or the deep South may have when it came to race relations or whatnot in the sixties. And I think they were meeting with some Japanese executives. They asked him if Alabama was close to Arizona. Just, they were just looking at the alphabet. They had no idea. That was something they hung their hat on was trying to go out and get as much foreign direct investment as they could. And it's really paid off. But to answer your question, there's obviously great things and strengths in all these different states but there's also each state has some maybe weaknesses or things that could focus more energy
1: and effort behind to make a little bit better sure sure and then oh i know i wanted to ask you about you you said in your bio or your description that you wrote for me that you help bring private public and philanthropic sectors together to support this shared economic development agenda so what Role does I know what the private and I know what the public does. What role does the philanthropic sector play?
2: I'll give you an example. We work in a community in uh, central Mississippi. It's about a forty thousand population community. They're fortunate. Not every community is going to have this. They have a couple of philanthropic foundations that were that have been around for I don't know fifty plus years, maybe more than that. But they've got a good bit of. Uh, they've got a nice endowment, so. They do a good job of whether it be the public sector, whether it be education or group of businesses get together and and take them a proposal or community college takes them a proposal. But they're really good about if it's something the whole community can agree on, something they want to get behind doing, we can go to that philanthropic sector and say, hey, look, we've got X amount of dollars committed to this. Can you help us bridge the gap? and get to the number we need to get to so we can put a new initiative in place or do something with K through 12. That's just a, another arm, another piece of the community that wants to see the community do well. And I think if you take them a, kind of a concise plan, whether it be an initiative or what we're trying to do, it's well thought out, and strategic, it makes sense. You've got some support from those different public and private sectors. If you got to look, you should get a little momentum. And you take it to them and sell them on the vision and the folks involved in it. And if you can get all three of those things working together, um, I think that's when good things can happen.
1: Oh, that's phenomenal. That's fantastic. Finally, you were a lawyer. You went was to law was a school, <laughs> You were a lawyer and you made the transition to economic development. Like what, obviously it's the family business. What did you bring with you from the legal profession? To what you're doing now, how does, how did that help you or did that hinder you in any way? Yeah, I will say the law, the
2: study in the law and practice of law for several years has definitely helped me. It teaches you to look at a problem or situation from two different sides. It, it helps you analyze things. You got to be careful though. You can analyze something to the hilt and never get anything done. It, it definitely helps you look at things and analyze the pros and the cons. There's obviously a lot of researching and writing and things that you do with the law. So I've had to be careful in my Twitter and my LinkedIn and things like that to use. Mm. There's a couple apps I use, maybe Hemingway and another one that helps you tone down the legalese and such sure. that I may tend to write with just to make it a little more common sense. I think lawyers sometimes. Think they know all these big words and know what they mean and want to use them, but a lot of them are unnecessary. So it's been helpful. It you know it doesn't necessarily teach you anything about economic development, but I think in terms of analyzing a problem, trying to come up with a solution, and in law, it's all about getting things done and working towards a deadline. You cannot miss the deadline. So I'm used to taking on problems, trying to solve them the best I can, and then taking some action and that's what we try to take to what we do. We try to analyze problems, try to solve problems, come up with solutions, measure what we're doing, but we're all about doing something. My dad, almost every time we meet with somebody about the possibility, maybe give us some work with them, help them out. He's really interested in, are we, are you serious about doing something? Are we going to, we don't want to necessarily attach our name to just a grand plan. And really at the end of the day, the community is not much better for it. If you're serious about taking some action and getting something done at the end of the day, I think that's where, that's what we need to be doing. So I would say the, it's helped me a bunch.
1: Well, that's excellent advice. Excellent. And, I go, and it keeps <laughs> going back to the... Just find a way to do something and do it, right? And I think you got to, I think you hit on it earlier. You got to
2: celebrate your, your wins to celebrate your, even if it's small, even if they're little small victories. I think you just, especially in the places we work where it's, like I said earlier, you know, it can be stagnant and nothing's really gone on. Nothing's really changed for 10, 15, 20, 30 years. It, you just, you're on, they're almost conditioned to, not expect anything or not expect successes. And I think it's important if you get, if you're, if we're going to try to do something, start a new initiative or make something better and we do, we got to celebrate it, we got to rally around it and celebrate our success. And then I think that just gives you the momentum you need to knock the next thing off that you are trying to do. And so just one step at a time creates a momentum and I think you'll get your community in in a better spot than maybe it is
1: today. And I think that's great advice. I think for some people, they probably have the idea that they want to, in economic development, they want to put their head down, they want to do the work, they want to bring the jobs or the investment to their community, and then they want to immediately put their head down on the next project and go to town, when if they don't stop and celebrate it and make the community aware of what they've accomplished, you know, together, then it's not really a win in the community's eyes. We all know people who have not done a good job of selling their successes to their stakeholders and, and suffered because of it, or whatever. Despite how good how good they might be, and we also know people that are really good at selling their successes, even when their successes are tiny. So, yeah, everything you said is excellent. Keep those two in balance, and, and but do it. Yeah,
2: yeah, and like you said, I think making the community aware that you. Because they're going to be, there are going to be some folks in the community that, that you're working with, a tight knit group that's tied in exactly what's going on and, and what you're doing and what you're accomplishing. But I think making that broader community aware, like you said, is really important. let some just let them know that you're, we're moving in the right direction and that hopefully things are going to get better. There's going to be more opportunities in terms of jobs or education or through infrastructure or whatnot. But I think it's essential that you, when you have a win, celebrate it because it's economic development, it's hard work, it's hard to get wins. It takes a lot of energy and effort and time and money in certain circumstances. So I think when you do have victories and successes, no matter how small, I think it's really important that you celebrate them and it just gives you that little bit of momentum to knock the next thing off.
1: Absolutely. Andy, this has been phenomenal. I've learned a lot. I hope our listeners have learned a lot. If any of them want to reach out to you, what is the best way for them to get into contact with you?
2: Yeah, I would say, like you said, I'm pretty active on Twitter and my Twitter handle is Portera underscore Andy. Then it's just Andy Portera, And then our website is just w.porterassociates.com. So I think through one of those three mechanisms, you ought to be able to get in touch with me. And I've learned it. I'd love to hear some feedback and if there's anything I can do to help Anybody in a rural spot or midmarket market com- community, I'd love to do it, but I certainly appreciate the time and the opportunity to talk with you for the last 30 minutes or so.
1: Absolutely. It's been my pleasure and I'm really happy to have finally met you face to face like this and I hope that we can run into each other or work together in sometime in the future.
2: Absolutely. Thanks, Dane. I appreciate it. All right. Talk to you again bye.